You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring the latest messages and teachings by David Diga Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast. Encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit's role in your salvation. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says this, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Here we see a prophetic promise concerning the person of the Holy Spirit. God the Father promising that he would put his spirit in you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, When the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, transformation begins. He mounts stubborn hearts. He gives us new desires. He transforms the very nature within us. This is the promise of the Father. The person of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father, and he's working on you. Now let's go to John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, this is so key here, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Verse 14 of John 16. He shall glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Here we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the primary focus of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that is to point you to Jesus. In every single one of our encounter services, I take the time to share the simple gospel message. I talk about salvation through Christ Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit who points us to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who glorifies Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who testifies of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus our focus. It's by the Holy Spirit that we come to know Jesus. So this is the role of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus, his primary work really. So Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, we see the promise of the Father regarding the person of the Holy Spirit. You can also take a look at Joel chapter 2. The promise of the Father regarding the Holy Spirit, not just that the Holy Spirit will come unto you, not just that the Holy Spirit will come near to you, but that the Holy Spirit will take up residence in you, that the Holy Spirit of God will live within you. And it is the taking on of this new nature that really is the miracle of salvation. So The Holy Spirit is promised by the Father. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. That is his primary work. If ever you hear of the work of the Holy Spirit, you will hear of his pointing to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He vivifies the Savior. He brings us into the reality of knowing Jesus. That's what he does. And so the Holy Spirit convicts. This is part of that work that he does in salvation. John 16, 5 through 11, key portion of scripture here. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. This is Jesus speaking again. And not one of you is asking where I am going. 
Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now here we see there is a threefold element, if you will, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world of what? It's sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It lists three things here. And often, though this isn't necessarily a problem, often you'll find that preachers primarily focus on the conviction of sin when they talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What is conviction? A conviction is a deeply held belief. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, he is convincing you of something. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, he is forming within you a strong belief. So when we say we're being convicted of our sin, what we're saying is that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us that's causing us to be convinced that sin is a violation of God's holy standard or his nature itself. The Holy Spirit convinces us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of this sin. We know something is wrong. We know that we're not meeting that standard. We know we're violating the very nature of God's holiness, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit. So yes, he convicts of sin, but watch this now, and of God's righteousness. In other words, he convinces us of this holy standard that God has raised. He doesn't just point to the things that we ought not to do. He points to the standard by which we ought to live. He doesn't just point to the things that we ought not to do. He also points to the standard by which we should live. He shows us what's available. He calls us to higher places. He says, this is sin, and he convinces you of that sin. He convinces you of that wrongdoing, and you feel that godly sorrow. Good. And then he also points to God's righteousness. He points to the standard for which we had been created. And thirdly, we see he convicts of the coming judgment. He speaks of the coming judgment. In other words, deep within the heart of every human being, there is this knowledge, this inner witness, this knowing, Though again, the Holy Spirit, or I should say the Holy Spirit, and let me make this clear, does not dwell in the unbeliever the way he dwells in the believer. Just read Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If you are not a born-again believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a born-again believer. The Holy Spirit enters you, becomes a part of your life at the very moment of salvation. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But here we see he's talking about the coming judgment. Every human being knows that they're going to be held accountable for their wrongdoing. Now, as in the case of, for example, an atheist, this produces anger in them, this rebellion against God. I mean, just ask them, would you follow the gospel or would you follow Jesus if it were true? And many of them would probably say no. Even if I believed it were true, I wouldn't follow it. And that shows the stubbornness of heart. But here we see that he's convincing us of this reality to come. He's calling us to think from an eternal perspective, to see things from that place of judgment, 
to see things with the knowledge that we will be held accountable according to God's holy standard. So he convicts us, what, of the sin in our lives? He convicts us of God's righteousness, and he convicts us of the coming judgment. I'll word it this way. He convinces us that our sin is wrong. He convinces us that we ought to live righteously. And he convinces us that we will one day face a judgment. Now, how is this salvation uh, received? Well, he's why the preaching of the gospel works. You see, as preachers of the gospel, we are called to present the gospel, and really it's the Holy Spirit who persuades. Now, we can appreciate things like apologetics ministry or Christian philosophers. Think about the fact that Paul the Apostle himself reasoned with unbelievers, trying to convince them of the gospel. So to some degree, there is an element of persuasion that's involved when presenting the gospel, at least in intellectual forums. But even though we can give our reason, and the Bible does tell us to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, even though we give our reasons for why we believe what we believe, ultimately, it's a heart issue. Ultimately, it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit for them to be persuaded to respond to the gospel. So Yes, there is an element of some persuasion, though that's not why people get saved, but ultimately it is a work of the Holy Spirit. People respond to the gospel ultimately because of the Holy Spirit. And so he is why the preaching of the gospel works. Now, how does someone receive this salvation? Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse nine, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Notice there that the good things that we do come about as a result of salvation, and salvation doesn't come about as a result of the good things that we do. In other words, works are from salvation, not for salvation. So we are saved according to scripture when we believe. When we place our faith in the finished work of the cross, when we place our faith in Christ and Christ alone, God responds to that faith by giving us the miracle of salvation. There's an analogy I like to use that doesn't fully illustrate the point, but I think it helps get us thinking in the right direction. When you go in for an operation, you're not the one performing the operation. If you go in for a surgery, it's the surgeon who performs the surgery. All you're supposed to do is yield yourself and allow him or her to do their work. So in the same way, it's not that we are saving ourselves. It's not that we're changing our own nature. It's not that we're doing the work of salvation. Rather, it's that in having faith in that work that Christ has done, in placing our faith in God, we are, in a sense, getting onto the table, the operating table, and Jesus is the surgeon of the soul. So you don't get credit for the surgery, you don't get credit for the operation, but you do have to submit to the process so that the surgeon can do his work. In the same way, God will not violate our free will. And so he will give us the desire for salvation. He will call us to salvation, but we must choose to respond to that desire that he gave to us. So people will ask, well, is, is it free will or predestination? Well, the scripture is clear that it's both. And they can work together harmoniously as long as we're not stubborn in the way we think and rigid in the way we think about both of these concepts. But they can flow harmoniously 
And of course, the scripture illustrates this. So salvation is received when I respond to that prompting of the Holy Spirit. I choose to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit by faith. That's, that's all that God requires is your faith. And so the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. He convicts us of our wrongdoing. He convicts us of God's righteousness. He convicts us of the coming judgment. And then once we respond to his conviction, once we respond to his pointing to Jesus, that's now when the miracle of salvation occurs. I love healing miracles. I love to witness healing miracles. I love to see people get delivered from addictions, demonic bondage. These are wonderful things to witness. And I've seen many miracles that God has done, and it's been a joy to witness every single one of them. But I'll tell you this right now. The greatest miracle is not the healing of the body. The greatest miracle is not deliverance. The greatest miracle is not an accurate prophetic word of knowledge. The greatest miracle is salvation, period. Well, think about it. You know, people talk about deliverance. Deliverance is wonderful. But in heaven, there are no demons. You talk about healing. It's wonderful. But in heaven, there is no sickness. Prophecy. What a great gift given to the body of Christ. But why do we need to see the future in eternity where time does not apply? So these are wonderful expressions of God's power. These are wonderful demonstrations of his miraculous hand. However, the greatest miracle is salvation because salvation is all that counts for eternity. Salvation is the only thing that counts for eternity. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7 says this, But... When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Thank God for that. Now, whenever I talk about salvation, I always like to pause and clarify for anybody who might be misunderstanding, and I wouldn't want to confuse anyone. Uh, the Bible is quite clear that the believer should live holy. So by no means am I saying that you shouldn't live holy or that you can live however you want. You can't just live however you want. Do you know why? Because if you've truly been born again, the Holy Spirit gives you new desires. If you've truly been born again, there's at least the desire in you to become more and more like Christ Jesus. He washed away, continuing now with scripture, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, watch this now, and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously, poured out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence, gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. That confidence is there because of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we understand that it was Christ Jesus who purchased on the cross with his blood our salvation. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, it enabled the Holy Spirit to do his work. The work of the cross gave the Holy Spirit the legal right to work on you the way he does in terms of your salvation. Let's read verse 7 again. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight. So when he looks at you, he sees, when the Father looks at you, he sees Christ's perfection, if you're a born-again believer. And when he looks at the cross, he sees your sin. That's the great exchange. That's what happens at salvation and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now watch this, John 3, 5 through 8. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, 
but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I love the way this is worded here. You know, as I said a moment ago, salvation truly is a miracle. It's you placing your faith in Christ. And he takes it from there. If it was any more complicated than that, we would mess it up. It's quite simple. And we already mess it up with things like legalism and the works-based gospel. No, just by placing your faith in him, now he begins that work. So then the question arises, shall we go on sinning then? We can live however we want. Not exactly because how you want to live will change. The Holy Spirit's nature comes upon you and he does live in you the moment you are saved. The moment you are born again, the Holy Spirit is there. And it couldn't be possible for you to be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is present at the very moment of salvation. This, of course, raises the question, uh, well, then what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? What is that receiving of the gift of tongues? What are these extra things that we see in Scripture, like in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4? That's a different lesson for a different time. I have teachings here on the channel about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It is both a well and a river. It's a continual state of being and experiences over and over again. That's a whole different thing we can get into. But for now, I'll just simply say that the moment you are born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The moment the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are born again. Those two can't be separated. Why? Because you're born again of the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. Humans can only produce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And I love that he says it's, it's like the wind. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's, it's, you can't explain the miracle of salvation. All I know is that I placed my faith in Jesus. And he did something in me I can't explain. All I know is I trusted his finished work. All I know is I placed my faith in him. All I know is I believed upon him as the son of the living God and something in me was changed. You remember that moment, don't you? Where you received Christ, where you placed your faith in him. You heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit pointed to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin, of God's righteousness, of the coming judgment. You responded to that message by, as the scripture says, placing your faith in Christ Jesus. And the moment you did that, something lifted off of you. There, there was this freedom, this liberty, this joy overflowing, this peace beyond understanding, this love beyond measure. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So I put my faith on the Lord Jesus and what he's done. And the moment I do that, now God begins the work. Now God gives me a new nature. How? Well, he promised it in Ezekiel. I'll put my spirit in you. You're stubborn. You love sin. You're rebellious. The only solution to this, I'm not even going to deal with that old heart. I'm going to remove that old heart, that old nature. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I will dwell in you. I will live that life through you. I will give you the grace. Well, that's what grace is. It's God's empowering presence. And he causes us to live right. So the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born again in the spirit. I used to wonder, well, how exactly does this work? Like I say a little prayer and it's not just a prayer that saves you, by the way, but I place my faith in Jesus. And what is, what is there that takes place? Is there like a, 
a filing system in heaven? Is there, does God just, of course, God knows everyone who's truly born again, but where does he store this in his mind? Is there a stamp in the spirit that I receive, a ticket in the spirit that I receive? No, my friend, it's, it's the nature of the Holy Spirit joining with your nature. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Like mixing two glasses of water into one glass, you can no longer separate those. They just become one. You can't tell where one starts and the other ends. It's just this merging, this oneness with God that we experience as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. How does he do that? I don't know. How exactly does that work? My mind cannot comprehend. All I know is you place your faith in Jesus in response to the work of the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to Jesus. He's convicting of sin. He's persuading you of the gospel. The moment you respond to that by your free will, something transforms in you. Everything about you changes and you're a new creation. <laughs> miracle. Talk about miracles. A miracle of the transformed heart a miracle of a new nature, a miracle of new desires. Now I want to be like Jesus. Now I want to know God. Now I want to be done away with my sin. I become free from the bounds of sin, from the tethers of this earth, and I am filled with the love of God. That's the beauty of salvation. So he gives you a new nature, a spiritual nature. No one knows how this is done, but you were born once of the flesh, and now you are born again of the spirit. Now you live in a different realm. Now you live in a different kingdom. Now you live in a different reality in the spiritual realm. It's a new nature, a new identity, and it's completely new. All things in Christ become new. That's everything. When you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. Everything becomes new, brand new. John 6, 63 says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. I'm gonna read that again. John 6, 63, this is Jesus speaking. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. How? Through what Jesus did. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's not by keeping the law. Though again, if the Holy Spirit truly marks your life, you're going to desire to live holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. In other words, he bring, that life, what does it mean, gives life? It means he brings you into a new existence. Just as a newborn is given a new life, it, it comes into this new existence. So you are given a new life. You now enter a whole different realm of existence. Galatians 3, 1 through 2. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you or who has bewitched you? Side note, what the scripture is describing here is the fact that the Galatians had come to believe a works-based gospel. They went back to the law instead of trusting in the finished work of the cross and trusting the Holy Spirit to help them live holy. They tried to go back to the standard of the law. So this is, what's, this is what is meant when it says who's bewitched you or cast an evil spell. Not that they had a demon in them or that they had a hex literally placed over them, but rather that spell itself was deception. This is very clearly talking about deception. So who's deceived you? Who's, who's, who's entranced you, as the original language says? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Now watch this rhetorical question here. Let me ask you this one question. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit. Watch this now. This is so powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with this right here. You, Of course not. You received the Spirit. Why? Why did you receive him? Because you believed the message you heard about Christ. <laughs> what? <laughs> What a good God we serve. I'm telling you what a good God we serve. You, why did I, why did he give me the Holy Spirit? Because I deserve it? No, we don't deserve him. Why did he give me the Holy Spirit? Because I earned it through my good works. Because I earned his presence through my good works. Because, because I, because I'm so, so pure, so holy, because I'm so special. No, he gave you his Holy Spirit. Why? Because you believed. Because you believed. It was so simple. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because religion says, perform, 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 perform. The gospel says, done, 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 done. Jesus said, it is finished, not you take it from here. So there's this confidence that we have in our salvation. Not confidence that enables us to abuse the grace of God. Because anyone who is truly born again will not desire to abuse that grace. But rather to know with confidence, I am born again. I am saved. I have been redeemed. And now I live holy as an offering unto God. So you received the spirit. Why? Because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Well, it's right there in the scripture. So God, the father promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points you to Jesus, convicts you of your sin, convicts you of God's righteousness, convicts you of the coming judgment. And then when you believe that message of the gospel concerning Christ, you believe on Jesus. Now God says, okay, I'll give you my Holy Spirit because you believe. That's all you had to do. You believed, I sent my Holy Spirit. Now you have a new nature. Now things begin to change. So of course not. You receive the Holy Spirit, tells you right here in the Bible, because you believe the message you heard about Christ, works are from salvation, not for salvation. You, the good news is you can live holy. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. And so what begins to happen now? Let me recap this again. I know I've recapped this a few times, but I want to make sure this gets drilled into your mind. And by the way, Meditation, biblical meditation is simply repetition and thought. Read Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. Okay, so the Holy Spirit was promised by the Father. The Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts you of those three things we mentioned. Then once you believe, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and performs the miracle of salvation. Something in you is transformed now. God gives you the Holy Spirit because you believe. Now watch this. It doesn't end there. Now the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies you. And as long as you are truly born again, he's going to continue to do that work in you. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Very popular portion of scripture, but look at what he's saying here. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. This, of course, is John the Baptist speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, here the scripture, when John is talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking about purification. Watch this now. Speaking of Jesus, John says, he is ready 
to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Well, what is this being described here? This is describing the act of threshing. Now, this is an agricultural term. The simplest way I can put it is that this winnowing fork or pitchfork-like tool was used to toss the chaff and the wheat into the air. And what would happen is as the chaff and the wheat were thrown into the air, the wind would blow and carry away the chaff and the wheat would fall to the ground. This is the threshing floor. And so in other words, as this threshing is taking place, the wheat is kept, the chaff is taken away and the chaff is burned actually after this. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So the Holy Spirit's fire is a purifying fire. He places us on this threshing floor. That's what Jesus does. Now, of course, this in a broader sense was being applied to simply put believers and unbelievers. But this really gives us insight into the nature of the Holy Spirit and the purifying work that he does in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 confirms this fact. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Watch this now. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Who makes you more like Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. What do you have to do in order to receive this transformation? You just look at Jesus. Well, that's what it says. We've had the veil removed. So now we can see. And as we see, that glory is reflecting back on us. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So you are changed as you behold him. You just keep your eyes on Jesus. You just keep your faith in him. You just keep looking at the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the Holy Spirit will purify you. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the Holy Spirit will sanctify. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, And such were some of you. Of course, that was a long list of the various different sins that will keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. That's context there. Verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, by the legal right of what he did and by the Spirit of our God. So it's in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit that you're sanctified that you're washed, that you're justified. In the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, that's a legal term. It's by his authority, according to what he accomplished, by his will. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit does his work in response to what Christ has done. So because of what Jesus has done in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we can be sanctified. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, excuse me, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So there we see sanctification comes through the Spirit. Very famous portion of Scripture. I read it quite often on this channel with all of what I just mentioned in mind, take a look at this portion of scripture here. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. That phrase alone should liberate you. Now, before I say this, let me make one more disclaimer because I got to be careful that, you know, God gives to us teachers a greater standard of judgment 
because we're responsible for sharing the truth of his word. So I want to make sure I do this, not for those of you who already understand, but for those of you who could possibly misunderstand. I am not saying that we shouldn't make effort to live holy. Use your willpower, use discipline, use accountability, use the practical measures that can be exercised by your free will to help keep you pure. While you do those things, remember that ultimately it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says here, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Well, who produces it? Who produces the fruit? Who produces the love, the joy, the peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Who produces this? It's the Holy Spirit. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Well, how did we do that? We did that when we believed. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You just have to surrender to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And he produces that work. Philippians 1.6. I want to read this to you, and then I'm going to pray for you. Philippians 1.6. And by the way, you may be listening to this, and you're being encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit hasn't given up on you. Yes, you need to live holy. Yes, you should desire to live holy. Yes, you ought to try your best every day to follow after the way of God. While you are doing this, remember that you're not alone in that effort. God doesn't abandon you and say, okay, you get it right now. No, he works with you. He works with you. And he's not going to give up on you. I sense in my spirit strongly that this is for someone right now. You've been so frustrated with yourself. You've been so frustrated with yourself. Failing again and again and again and again. I want to read this scripture to you. Philippians 1.6 And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God does not fail. Jesus does not fail. The Holy Spirit does not fail. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to cast you aside if your faith is in Christ Jesus and you are surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit. You're just saying, Lord, help me do this. Help me do this. He's going to stay with you. He's going to help you. Get up. Try it again. Yes, the righteous do fall. But they get up. They get up. And I'm telling you right now, you're not alone. You are not alone. And the Holy Spirit isn't abandoning you. Father, I thank you for that one receiving this prayer. And I ask you, Lord, that you would begin to give them confidence in their salvation. Confidence in the work of the cross. And give them hope for the future. Cause them, Lord, 
to walk in holiness and righteousness. Cause them, Lord, to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We thank you. Just begin to thank him now. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your kindness to us. You are so patient with us. We thank you for it, Lord. Touch them now, I pray. I pray healing and deliverance and a touch of your presence and power upon their lives in a fresh way, Lord. I give you the glory and the honor. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Support the podcast by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God.